The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king. He will exalt the power of his anointed. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Her name is Hannah, and she is absolutely miserable. She's in a position that is no longer permissible these days. Polygamy, that is, her husband is married to two women, Hannah, herself, and Peninnah. Now, Hannah's misery is born out of her inability to bring a child into the world, while her rival has produced numerous offspring for their shared husband. So you can just kind of imagine Peninnah walking around the house. She's got children dangling from either arm while other kids are in the back room throwing Lego pieces at each other. And she says, oh, Hannah, oh, it's just such a shame that you, that you can't be the kind of blessing that I am. You know, you're so lucky that our husband has pity on you because who knows what would happen to you otherwise. Now, I read this in Scripture, and I can't help but think of like a mid-morning soap opera. It's just kind of terrible. These two women fighting over this one man. Now, every year, their husband, Elkanah, he goes to make his sacrifices at the temple. He gives portions to his wives and to his children. But to Hannah, he gives a double portion because he loves her in spite of her childlessness. But that only makes it worse for her. And so one particular year, Hannah weeps from the depths of her soul. She goes down to the temple herself. She throws herself onto the floor, and she makes a pledge. Lord! If you would only look upon my sadness, if you would only look upon my misery, please give me a son. And if you do, I'll give him back to you. Meanwhile, Eli, the priest, overhears her ramblings and assumes that she's a drunken fool. So he goes up to her and he says, woman, get out of here. And she says, no, no, you don't understand. I'm not, I haven't had anything to drink, but I am drunk. I'm drunk with sorrow and I'm drunk with hope. If only God would listen to me. Eli says, woman, get out of here. God's always listening. And she leaves. And when you believe it, in short order, Hannah is pregnant. Eventually she gives birth to a son. And she names him Samuel, which means God is exalted. Now, if this were a movie or a Netflix series, we all know what would happen next. This, this new mother would cradle her new baby. Everything would be happy. He would grow, and she'd love him. And then one day, God would say, remember the promise you made? And she'd say, no, Lord, I want to keep him a little bit. Remember the promise? No, Lord. that's what would happen if it were a movie, but this isn't a movie. This is the gospel. Hannah raises the child until he can eat solid food. And then she drops him off at the house of the Lord in Shiloh, and she leaves him there forever. Scripture says every year she makes a new tunic a little bit larger than the one before, and she drops it off so her son will have something to wear when he's at the temple. And that's where our story picks up today, the passage that Fred read. It's, it's a song. It's a song that Hannah sings in response to the gracious work of the Lord. It's what she sings after she gives her child back to God. Hannah can't help from singing, My heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in God. There is no holy one like the Lord. There is no rock like our God. It's a touching story. I know quite a few people for whom this is their favorite text in the entirety of the Bible. And it's made all the more powerful by what happens next. Years go by, Samuel becomes a child, and he sleeps at night in the temple. 
And one night when he's asleep, he hears a voice, Samuel, Samuel. And he goes to Eli, that same priest. He says, Eli, I'm trying to sleep. What do you need? He says, I didn't call you, child. Go back. He goes back to the temple. Samuel, Samuel. It is the voice of the Lord calling upon him in his life, calling him to be the next priest, calling him to go eventually and anoint Saul, king over Israel, and then in time to anoint David, king over Israel. It's a great, great story. I think what we have today, it, it begs us to think of another woman who will have another child who we'll be celebrating in just a few weeks, but we'll save that for Advent. This, this text today, I think it calls us to consider the strange new world of the Bible and how, how it beckons us to think about how we fit in that story. I mean, week after week, we read from this ancient text, not because it's just a reprieve from what's going on in the world, not just because it's got some pretty wild and funny and serious stories in it. We do so because it's alive. Because we believe it has something to say to us today about who we are and whose we are. I believe that one of the most important things that the text has to say to us, not just the, the whole book, but this story in particular, is that we don't belong to ourselves. Despite all the pontificating the world might do about rugged individualism and seize the day and make your own destiny, the Bible tells a very different story. Our lives never belong to us. This is what we just declared in Owen and in Leah's baptism. They belong to God. They belong to all of us. God has hopes and dreams and desires for us. God gives us gifts that they might be used. Now, I've been here long enough and have had enough conversations with a lot of you to know that this is true, that all of you here, you bring gifts and graces and talents and, and stories and moments from your own life that are unique and wonderful and beautiful, like the children were yelling at you in the children's message. We cannot be what we are as a church without all of you and your gifts. That's beauty. That's the beauty of the church. It's filled with a bunch of no good, dirty, rotten scoundrels like you and me. And yet God delights in using us for other people. Let me put it this way. Rarely does God ever give us a gift that's solely for our own benefit. When God gives us gifts, they're meant to be gifts for other people. So priests, pastors, reverends, fathers, whatever you want to call people like me, we can be a lot of things. But more often than not, my job is to help you see how God can be using you for other people. Priests, like that image from the beginning, priests point out what God is doing. Priests point out the power in other people. There's this great German expression, ein Gabe ist ein Aufgabe. It means a gift is a task. I think that's true. I think that's what's at stake here. When, when we see what we're gifted in, it becomes a responsibility to use that gift, not just for ourselves, or our friends or our family, but for other people. God has work for us to do. And so when we do that work, we start to see how God is connected with our lives and how God might be using us. God calls people. Again and again in Scripture, we hear about God calling people. In our lives, we see how God calls upon certain people to do certain things. Now, I don't know if any of you have heard the voice of the Lord, but I never heard it the way Samuel did. I never heard, Taylor, Taylor, I have a job for you. That's never what happened for me. But surely as I am standing here before you, I believe and know in my bones 
that God calls people, even people like me. I was baptized when I was 19 days old, little baby. I have no memory of living outside the church. Most Sundays in church. I was confirmed in the church. I ran the sound system for the church. I started playing in the praise band at the church. I was in Boy Scouts that met at the church. I led a youth Bible say I was at the church all the time. And when I was a teenager, I didn't have any inkling in the world that this is what I would do. I mean, I loved the church, but I was not in love with the church. People dressed like this, they can do their own thing. I like to reap the benefits of being at the church. I don't want to have to be responsible for her. But then when I was 16, one December, one of my best friends in the world died instantly in a car crash. Coming home from school, a semi-truck, boom, dead. And I was one of the first people to receive the phone call about her death. Not because she was my friend, but because they needed me to run the soundboard for her funeral. And so while my entire high school was gathered together in despair and in grief over her death, weeping in the pews, I was weeping on the soundboard in the back. And after the service ended, we, many of us gathered at one of our friends' houses, and we talked about what had happened and how we were feeling and what it meant. And the strangest thing happened, I started using words that were not my own. I started reaching out in a way to comfort my friends, and I realized I was using the language of the faith I had been habituated into believing this to be true because it's what I had been around. And so when I left that night, I, on Fort Hunt Road in Alexandria, Virginia, I can show you the exact sidewalk square that I was walking on when I felt pulled to my knees and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And when I stood up, I knew that this is what I had to do. So I went home and I told my parents the good news. Guess what, mom and dad? I'm going to be a United Methodist pastor. You know what my mother said? Taylor, do you remember what you told me when you were three years old? I said, no, of course I don't remember what I told you when I was three, Mom. She said, you came home from preschool one day and you said, Mom, I'm going to marry Anna Ringer on a Tuesday and I'm going to be a preacher. <laughs> Anna Ringer was the girl that died. I know not what to do with my life except for this. Because I believe deeply in every fiber of my being that we have good news to share with people who feel nothing but bad news. There was no parting of the clouds. There was no big booming voice. It was just a feeling, but for me, it was enough. It's not just about what we do with our careers. I mean, God, God calls us to do all kinds of things. Yes, God calls preachers and doctors and teachers and CPAs, all kinds of stuff. But God also calls us to do little things. Like when we notice our neighbor hasn't had anybody come by recently, we go knock on the door and check to make sure she's okay. Or God gives us a little nudge or puts someone in our life that we might be connected with them and make sure that they're making it through a tough time. Or maybe we feel like we can be a Sunday school teacher or we can be an usher and shake hands with people on Sunday. All, all kinds. God calls us for all sorts of things. Part of my job is to help everybody find out what God is calling you to do. How you can take your unique life, your unique gifts, and use it to make life better for other people. But sometimes it's really, really hard. I think it's hard because sometimes we're so bombarded by everything the world is saying. I mean, I've been here four months, and just about every time I meet someone or talk to them, hey, how are you doing? And you know what people say? 
say to me, I'm overwhelmed. I, I think a lot of us kind of feel like that. We're just overwhelmed. Life is just heavy, just tough. And I think it's also hard because priests have made, screwed this all up for us. I mean, think about Eli from the story. It's just one little line, but he thinks she's drunk. He doesn't even see her in the depths of her despair. It pains me to know. I've got 29 faces of other pastors right next to my office, the other 29 that have served this church. And I know we all haven't been golden eggs. I know some of us have been pretty bad. Be here long enough, I'm sure I'll screw up at some point. But that's the thing. God doesn't call perfect people to be preachers. God calls us. God calls the people of that prison that Carl Bart went to. God calls people to live and to use their gifts to be blessings for other people. We worship a God who calls. And we don't know what the future will hold. The only real safe bet is that the future will hold pain and joy, that there will be sorrow and there will be happiness. But we know, because of Jesus, whatever the future holds, we know who holds the future. God is just as much with us today as God will be with us tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that. So today we read Hannah's story, which is also Samuel's story, which is also Israel's story, which is also our story. It's our story together. It's the story of salvation that comes through another child born to set us free. So today, hear this good news. Hear this call of God upon your lives. By grace, you have been saved. Not just a little bit, not just tomorrow. You've been saved for always, for all time, in the midst of your sins, whether you're in prison or you're not. By grace, you have been saved. Look at the one on the cross. Look at the one who broke forth from the tomb in resurrection. He is calling on you. I have a job for you. I have a job for you. What is God calling you to do? So I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen.